Turn with me today to Proverbs, the fourth chapter, if you would. We'll look at the fourth chapter and also the fourteenth chapter. Proverbs chapter four and chapter fourteen. And we've been studying, we began yesterday talking about the heart, and talking particularly about the receptive heart, the receiving heart, the heart that receives from God. Can you say amen? The receptive heart. And before we read some of these verses of Scripture, how many know that your heart is the part of you that you believe God with? Amen. It's the part of you that you believe God with. And uh, these Scriptures here in Proverbs 4 and Proverbs 14 bring out some particularly important truths along this line. Let's read them again. Proverbs 4, verse 20 and through 22, most people in charismatic circles at least are familiar with. It says, My son, attend to my words. Incline uh, thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health or medicine to all their flesh. But it really keeps going. It says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Did you hear that phrase? Keep your heart. Other translations say guard your heart. Protect your heart. Guard your heart. Keep your heart. We could say it like this. What do you mean keep your heart? Well, keep it in good condition. Protect it. Don't let it get in bad shape. Keep your heart in good condition. Is it important that you do that? He said do it with all diligence. Amen. Do it with all diligence. In fact, the, he, uh, the, the margin in my Bible, uh, it's got a number by this word with that begins with with all diligence. And the Hebrew, it says here, Hebrew in my margin literally means above all keeping. That the Hebrew literally means above all keeping. Amen. Anybody got an amplified Bible in here? Amplified? What? Does yours read a little bit differently in there? Amen. It brings out this aspect that, that the Hebrew there, above all, that you guard. Keep your heart. Guard your heart. Protect it with all diligence and vigilant, uh, vigilant rather, watch, watchfulness. And keep it above all that you keep. How many of those you should keep your finances in good order? And you should keep your, your, your mind in good order. You should keep your marriage in good order. You should keep your household, family in good order. Isn't that right? You should keep your body in good shape. Everybody said amen. <laughs> don't, don't, don't leave me on that one. But how I many know more importantly than anything, more important than your money, more important than your body, more important than anything else, what should you keep in good shape? Your heart. Why? Because out of it are the issues of life. It's impossible to have everything else in good shape if your heart's in bad condition. And of course you understand when we, when we say heart, we're not just talking about your physical blood pump. He's talking about spiritual heart. He's talking about the hidden man of the heart. The spirit of man, the inward man. And he says, he says keep your heart Guard your heart 
above all that you guard, above all that you keep, because out of it are the issues of life. Over in another portion of Scripture here in the 14th chapter, verse 30, Proverbs 14, 30, it says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. A sound heart is the life of the flesh. Now that's another way of saying what we just got through reading, isn't it? A sound heart. What kind of heart is a sound heart? Well, a heart that's in good condition. Whole. Amen. Good condition. And we're, we're teaching, preach here, that God wants us to have sound bodies. Healthy bodies. Whole bodies. He doesn't want us to be sick. Doesn't want us to be in pain. Doesn't want us to be debilitated. Doesn't want us to be, to die prematurely from sickness and disease. He doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want that in our lives. He wants us to have sound bodies. But you know, even more importantly, He wants us to have sound hearts. And having a sound heart is a big factor and a big key to getting a sound body. There's a connection between the condition of the heart and the condition of the body. Remember 3 John 2? 3 John 2 said, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. How? Even as your soul prospers. Now see, the soul's part of the inward man. You know, oftentimes the, the phrase, the heart of man, refers to the whole inward man. You are a spirit. You have a soul. All of that, you know, is your inward man. But he's talking about how that if your, if your inward man is prospering, that's going to affect the prosperity of the outward man. And he said that I would that you would be prospering financially and materially. I would that you'd be prospering physically in health and strength. But how did he say it's going to happen? Even as your soul or inward man prospers. And so he says here that a sound heart, a heart that's strong and in good condition, is the life of the flesh. And previously he had said, guard your heart, keep, take care of your heart, keep your heart with all that you keep, with all diligence, because out of your heart, out of it, are the issues of life. When we're talking about healing, we're talking about divine healing, healing by the power of God, we, we should understand that healing comes from the inside out. Amen. Divine healing works from the inside out. Now, where is God? Where does His Spirit dwell? Well, in us believers, He dwells in our spirit. Isn't that right? And so, the life of God is in our spirit. But for that life to get to our flesh, it comes out of our heart. It has to come through our heart to contact our mind and our flesh. And the Bible talks about that if the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, that He, he would quicken your mortal body. Well, well, the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in your mind, in your intellect, in your head per se. He dwells in your heart. But if you've got heart problems of some kind that hinder or prevent uh, that life from flowing through your heart to your body, then it's going to hinder your, your, your healing in the soundness of flesh. How I many know there's more than enough life inside of your spirit 
to correct any problem in your body. Does the Holy Ghost live inside of you? Is that the same spirit that not, not, didn't just heal, I mean, that's the same spirit that healed bodies in Jesus' ministry. Opened the blind eyes, opened the deaf ears, healed the leprous, healed the lame. But that's the same spirit that raised his body from the dead and made his body immortal and incorruptible. Now, if he can do that, he can sure do a little repair work on your body. Can he? Is he in there? Can he fix whatever would be wrong with you? I don't care where it's recreating organs and bones or tissue or just restoring little minor damage or if it's a complete overhaul. Can he do it? Is it hard for him? No. But here's the thing. He's got to, he's got to come, that, that power has got to come through your heart into your flesh. That's interesting, isn't it? I never said that before. Just like that. I've taught on this before, but, but just exactly like that. But it does. Why else would he say, guard your heart above all that you guard and keep? Why? Because out of it, out of it, out of what? Your heart, out of it, are the issues of life. You understand what we mean by that? If I asked you where, where life comes from, you'd say God. And that's right. But you understand that it's got to come through your spirit to get to your flesh. It comes through your spirit. And the life that's in your flesh right now comes from your spirit. If your spirit left your body, what would your body be? Dead. So that proves... Where is the life that's in your flesh coming from? Your spirit. Amen? But friend, in, within our spirit dwells the Holy Spirit. We, we have within us infinite power. Amen? If we can allow Him to flow through our spirit into our beings, healing is a snap. Well, you know the devil knows that too. And so you know what he would do? He would work on you constantly to try to cause you to have different forms of heart problems that would be a hindrance and restrictive to that life flowing into your flesh and into your mind. The, the same life that affects your flesh affects your mind. And mental anguish and torment is a manifestation of spiritual death in the mind. Sickness and disease is a manifestation of spiritual death in the body. What is spiritual death? Spiritual death is being separated from God who is life. And if you're separated from life, what will happen? You die. Isn't that right? That's why Jesus taught this in John 15 where he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he taught us, if you go down through that, that chapter and circle every time it says abide, you'll have circles all through your, your chapter. Because that, that's the underlying theme there is abide in me, stay in me, abide in me, stay in me. One translation puts it like this. It says maintain a constant communion with me. How many know you don't just go down to the altar and receive Jesus as Lord and that's the end of it? 
every day you're supposed to maintain that living uh, communion. And, and, and if you don't, if you don't keep the channel open and free flowing from God to you, then you're going to be cut off in different degrees from the life that's in Him. And you are a branch. And without receiving the life flowing from the vine, you're going to have death in different parts. Isn't that right? You can have death in your, in your mind. Uh, you can have death in your solical realms, emotional problems, mental problems, and death in your body, different forms of sickness and, and ailments and, and problems. And the devil is always working to, to, to drive some kind of wedges and obstructions in between you and your source, the vine, the Lord Jesus. And to get some kind of hindrances to your communion in there. How many realize that? That the devil is always trying to hinder your communion with the Lord through some shape, form, or fashion. Why? Because he wants to cut you off from your life source. You don't produce your own life. You get cut off from your supply, you'll begin to wither and die. And we've all experienced that in different measures, haven't we? This part of our life withered up, and this part of our life withered up, or whatever. But old friend, if you get all the obstructions out and open up the floodgate real wide so that, that life can flood into you out of the vine, that life will overwhelm and push out. Amen? And displace the death that would be in your body, that would be in your mind, that would be in your life. Thank God. Do you believe that? Listen to it again. Keep your heart with all that you keep, with all that you guard, for out of it are the issues of life. We talked yesterday about different conditions of heart that we could have. I mentioned to you that just real quickly, I, just in a, in, a, in a fairly quick scan of the scriptures, I saw 40 different conditions of heart mentioned. Well, that's a lot. You can't cover all of that adequately. But we, we, we went over them, many of them real briefly yesterday. We saw you could have a pure heart, you could have a hard heart, you could have a doubtful heart, you could have a good heart, a troubled heart, uh, an evil heart, a faint heart, a divided heart, an established heart, a wise heart, a willing heart, and a perfect heart. Amen. Many different conditions of heart that one could have. Does the condition of your heart affect your healing? Yes, 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 yes. I want you to turn with me today to the seventh chapter of Mark, and I want us to begin talking about some issues with Christians. And we're talking about heart problems. When I say heart problems, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I'm not talking about your literal physical heart, the blood pump. I'm talking about the inward man. And here's the, here's the question that I have. Can a Christian have heart problems? Can a Christian have heart problems? Go with me here to Mark, the seventh chapter. Let's begin reading some things that Jesus said. In Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees and the scribes and different individuals were rebuking Jesus' disciples because they didn't wash and 
adhere to certain traditions that they did. And uh, they brought it up to Jesus, which was a mistake on their part. Because <laughs> he, uh, he did not respond to them the way they would like for him to have. In fact, he, uh, he rebuked them. He called them hypocrites. And he told them that they were setting aside the uh, commandment of God in order to keep their traditions. And uh, they, they were really hung up on washings about how that, boy, if you, if you were to eat with, with dirty hands, that would defile you. And, and, of course, if you ate the wrong kind of food, that would defile you. And see, they're not just talking about that you'd get germs on your hand. They mean that defile your heart. You'd be defiled. Your whole being would be defiled through external dirt or the wrong kind of diet. And Jesus gave them a revelation that day. <laughs> and it was such a revelation that it stumbled his, his own disciples. They, they found it hard to understand. And this is what he said. He said in verse uh, 14, Mark 7, when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. How many of this is talking to us today? Listen to me, every one of you, and understand this. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are you, are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly and goeth out into the draft, purging all meats. In other words, just goes through his digestive system. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. He said we're to hear this and understand this. You know, there, there's been something that's, that's uh, been implied, it's at least in a measure seems like, from different individuals. And I don't mean just one or two here or there, but, but several different ones that I've heard that have kind of left the idea that once you get born again, you have the nature and life of God in your spirit, and you couldn't have any heart problems. Only problems you'd have are flesh problems. But here Jesus refers to a whole list of things as heart problems, doesn't he? Things, things that many charismatics might just refer to as flesh problems. Adultery. He said it's a heart problem. Fornication, murder, 
theft, covetousness, wickedness, pride, foolishness. How many say foolishness is in some bad company here? Somebody said, well, they just have, you know, they just have little solical problems. They're just, they're just foolish. No, he said heart problems. That's interesting, isn't it? And I bring this up because sometimes people uh, leave the idea and impression, well, I, I, I got a little problem with, with my flesh, and they don't want to really deal with the heart problem and imply that there can't be any heart problems in a Christian. Now, I realize some people might say, well, yeah, but now, Brother Keith, you have to understand that this, Jesus was talking to people that weren't born again here. Yeah, he was. But he's also talking to us. Amen. He's talking to everybody. What, what did he say? Hearken and hear every one of you. But, lest somebody have a problem with that, there's more scriptures in the Bible than one. Amen. And the Bible says, let everything be established. The mouth of more than one witness. See, two or three. Let's go and look at people that are born again, filled with the Spirit, with heart problems. No, we're not going to call anybody out of the crowd and have them come out. <laughs> Go with me to Acts, the fifth chapter. How many know that after Acts 2, we got people that are born again and filled with the Holy Ghost. They speak with, the to with other tongues and a member of the same church we're in today. Is that right? Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if they could have heart problems, we could have heart problems. Is that right? Now, actually, to get the full import of Acts 5, you'd need to back up and read some of Acts 4. And notice that back up in Acts 4, it says, verse 33, several things had happened. You know they got filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts 2. You know in Acts 3, they had a miracle of the healing of the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. They've had outstanding things happen in, in this fourth chapter. They've had people healed with all kind, from all kinds of things, you see, and great things happening. And verse 33 of Acts 4, Acts 4, it says, With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know a little side thought here? They gave great prominence to the resurrection. They were always talking about the resurrection. We as Christians, that should be one of our main points of doctrine is the resurrection. We should talk about it constantly. Constantly. In fact, Paul talked about Jesus and the resurrection so much until at one point where he was at, they thought he was talking about two different gods. If you read, if you read through the whole book of Acts, you'll see what I'm talking about. Because he said Jesus and the resurrection. He kept talking about the resurrection. He's talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. And it was the point that, that, that people had the most problem with. But it's where our whole salvation rests. If Jesus had gone, if he, if he had been born, if he had lived, if he had uh, had a tremendous ministry, if he had gone to the cross and died, and that was it, all of us would be lost. There'd be no salvation. There'd be no kingdom of God. Oh, but thank God on the third day. <laughs> he rose from the dead, literally, physically, he's alive. Amen. He is alive. And because He lives. Amen. I live. You live. 
You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I like that old song, don't you? Glory to God. I remember congregational singing with, some, with that song. Boy, it sounded like folks shaking the roof. He lives. And I mean, boy, it seemed like the whole thing's going to move. Amen. We need to sing that again. Amen. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Amen. He lives. Amen. That's the main message we have. He lives. And because he lives, you can live. New life. Amen. Born again from the dead. Born out of your sins into new life. Resurrection life. He lives. So with great power, they're, they're giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. See, when you do that, grace will come on you. Grace will come on your life the more you testify of him in the resurrection. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. Now, they had to be filled with the Holy Ghost, didn't they? Because <laughs> there's, been, there's been people naturally tried communal living in, in our days and just been the biggest mess you've ever seen in your life. They're going to have this commune or that commune. And that's, that's, the, uh, uh, that's the basic underlying thinking of some of the communist philosophy. You know, we'll have all things common. You know, well, nobody will have too much. We'll divide it among everybody and everybody will have equal. And it sounds good on paper. But people that don't know God are selfish. Amen. And it can't work. As is proved by some of the communist leaders that lie in their pockets for years out of selfish greed while their people starved. Now that's communism, huh? No. See, commune, communism, common, these words are from similar derivatives. They're derivatives, rather, of similar, uh, of a similar origin, I should say. But, uh, neither was there any among them that lacked. As many as were possessors of lands or houses, they sold them, they brought the prices of the things that were sold. And they laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles were surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. He had land, and he sold it, and he brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so we, we see that the disciples filled with the Holy Ghost. We see the love of God dominating them. We see those that had much liquidating their assets and taking care of those that didn't have anything. And we see wonder, a wonderful spirit of unity and brotherhood uh, throughout the church here. But chapter 5 says there was a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira. Now I'm going to stop right here. Ananias and Sapphira, are they members of the church? How did they get to become members of the church? They got born again when they heard the preaching of the gospel. And this, and this church here is a bunch of tongue talkers. It's just a few chapters from Acts 2. Isn't that right? We have every reason in the world to believe that Ananias and Sapphira were tongue talkers. 
they were accepted, known members of the church here at Jerusalem. Y'all are quiet. And Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And they kept back part of the price. He did, Ananias, and his wife being privy to it. In other words, she knew it. She understood all about it. And they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. I wonder why they did that. I think that's one of the reasons why it told us about Barnabas up here earlier. Because, see, Barnabas was a man, he had some property, he sold it and brought all the money and laid it at the apostles' feet and said, Here, I feel impressed to do this. Just take this and let's divide among those that need it. And, and the apostles surnamed him Barnabas, which means son of consolation. In other words, he received some attention by the church. I don't think he did it for that reason. But this, I mean, this was, this obviously was well known for it to be recorded here in the Bible like this. I mean, this was something that happened in the church. And, uh, this was happening with other individuals that they were selling things and they were bringing money and just laying, laying it down. And, and it was, it was the, it was the end thing to do right then. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? And don't misunderstand me at all. I believe these individuals are being led by the Spirit of God, and I, be, I believe it's right. But how many know that sometimes when, when God starts using some people, as some things start happening, other people start to try to do it for the wrong motive and wrong reason. They want to be in on the end thing that's happening right now. To let everybody know, hey, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm on the cutting edge uh, of revelation and the move of God here. Well, they decided that they want to, they want to do, they want the attention and recognition of what the others, for what the others did, but they don't want to do what the others did to get it. And boy, there's a whole message there, isn't there? There's a lot of folk that want certain things. They want the attention. They want the blessing. They want the honor. They want the glory. But they don't want to do what it takes to get some things. They want the grace. They want the anointing. They want the this or the that, the opportunity. But they want to, they don't want to do what it takes to get it. They want to just fall on them. It's the truth. Things that are worthwhile, they don't just happen. You have to do your part. And again and again, what your part is, is putting the flesh under. In some shape, form, or fashion. And that's why so many folk don't like to do it. Because it's, it's not comfortable. But it's not enough just to want something. You've got to be willing to do what it takes to get it. Amen. I've had people talk to me and cry and whine before. Well, I, I want friends and I want people to care about me and, and I want this and I want people to treat me a certain way. And I want people to treat me with respect and, and I want this. Well, friend, how many know you have to earn respect? How many know you have to, if you want some people to like you, you have to act a certain way? Hey Amen, I'm just being frank. I mean, if you want people to enjoy being around you, you've got to be a certain kind of a person. 
You can't just yield to your flesh and snap at people and be selfish and be mean and expect people to flock around you and want to be your buddy and your pal. If you'll be a friend, if you'll treat people good, if you'll be easy to get along with and be sweet and nice, people will want to be your friend. If you'll be consistent and be honest and be diligent, you'll earn people's trust. You'll earn people's respect. Amen. And they'll give you respect. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of folk want a lot of things, but they're not willing to do what it takes to get it. Take the area of financial prosperity. A lot of people want to be prosperous. Not nearly as many are. Why? Because a lot of folk are not willing to do what it takes to become prosperous. Well, Brother Keith, all it takes is just confessing it, don't it? Uh Uh-uh. No. If it was just real easy, everybody would be doing it. What do you got to do to be prosperous? One thing you got to give. Amen? And it's going to cost you initially to put God first. You're going to have to take money that you would spend on yourself and you got to do something else with it. Amen? You got to put your flesh under. Your flesh wants everything now. You got to put your flesh under. You got to be led by the Spirit. You're going to have to be a good steward. You have to save and watch and have wisdom. See, folk don't like that. They like just make the confession and it comes in tomorrow. And that's all there is to it. It's, it's not enough just to want something. You got to be willing to do what it takes. Praise God. Do what it takes to get it. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they want the glory. They want the acknowledgement. They, they want a title. Brother and sister consolation also. <laughs> they want people to say around behind their backs, did you know what brother and sister Ananias and Sapphira did? What? They sold that, that 40 acres down there and they put the whole amount in the church. The whole amount. The whole amount. Mm-mm-mm. Bless their hearts. I always knew they were good saints of God. Holy saints of God. See, they can, they can imagine these things in their mind while they're thinking these things. How many know you have to watch your heart? And verse 3, Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your flesh to lie? Huh? Why has Satan filled your head? Uh-uh. Heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? In other words, you could have done whatever you wanted to do with it. If you wanted to give part of it, you could have given part of it. It would have been fine. Nobody would have said a word. You'd have been blessed. You could just come and say, well, I've sold some land. I feel impressed to give a, a tenth of it. To the church. Everybody would have said praise God. You'd have been blessed. 
Well, it was yours. You could do, while you had it, you could do what you wanted to with it. Once you sold it, you could do whatever you wanted to with the money. And he says, why have you conceived this thing, where? In your heart. You have not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, they had long services, didn't they? When his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yea, for so much. I know that was the wrong answer. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Did you know this word agreed here is the same word that's found over in Matthew 18 where it talks about any two of you agreeing together? Did you know you can agree in a bad thing spiritually? Just like you can agree in a good thing spiritually? You can join your heart with somebody in evil. Just like you can join your heart with somebody in faith, in expectancy. He said, Behold, the feet of them that buried your husband are at the door. I guess this first time she's found out that he's dead. And they shall carry you out. She Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead. I mean, they just had got through burying him and they came in and they got another one now. And they carried her forth and buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. You know, we've sought for great moves of the Spirit of God in our midst. <laughs> but did you know that I think that the Lord has spared us in some instances by us not having certain degrees of manifestations of the holiness and power of God uh, lest many be judged. Because see, the, the, the Spirit of God is called the what kind of spirit? Holy Spirit. And when the, when, when the Spirit of God is in great manifestation, oftentimes things are dealt with quicker and stronger. How many know as Christians we need to watch our hearts? Keep our hearts right. Don't lie to people and lie to God. And lie to ourselves. And believe lies. Not have a doubtful heart. Or a wavering or divided heart. Or evil heart in any shape, form, or fashion. Did you know, somebody said, well, we're talking about people, you know, that, that just, they just schemed and lied. I mean, that's, that's, uh, uh, you know, we, we realize that. But did you know, go with me to Hebrews. Hold your place here, if you haven't already lost it. Go with me to Hebrews, the third chapter, and notice this. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews 3, 12. He says, take heed, brethren. How many know when the Lord says, take heed, brethren? That means wake up, watch, look, pay attention. This is important. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of what? Unbelief. In departing from the living God. You know, sometimes we talk about unbelief as though it's just a little thing that everybody has. You know, it's not that big of a deal. 
we all have unbelief. But that's not the way the Bible talks about it. Some of the things that made the Lord Jesus the angriest in his walk in ministry wasn't what we might think. It wasn't somebody that committed adultery. It wasn't somebody that did this or that per se, natural things. One of the times that you'll see him get the angriest is when he looks around at people angry because of their hardness of heart and their unbelief. Unbelief angers the Lord. I've learned that personally. Unbelief not just perturbs him, not just, you know, he thinks, well, that's not good. No, it angers him. It angers him. Now, that might be hard for us to get a hold of because many people have kind of, kind of, uh, you know, salved things over and said, well, you know, we all got unbelief in us and that, you know, that's, you know, all of us are just dealing and overcoming different degrees of unbelief. No, to the Lord it's not acceptable for us to have unbelief. It is not something we can just say, well, you know, we're working on it. We're, we'll get, we'll get better, you know, as time goes by. No, there's no excuse for doubting God. There's no excuse for looking his word right square in the face and saying, well, I don't know, I'm still afraid, I'm not sure that he'll come through. And that. I mean, you are questioning his integrity, you're questioning his truthfulness, you're questioning his faithfulness. And yet sometimes we don't, we don't see it that clear. But when you doubt somebody, you question their very character and being. Amen. If I told you something and you doubted me or you disbelieved me, you either don't believe I have the ability to do it or you believe I'm a liar and I'm not faithful to fulfill my word. Either way, it's a direct uh, slander on my being and on my person and vice versa. I think we may not have realized how serious unbelief is. Unbelief is a serious matter with God. And he's writing to Christians here in Hebrews, isn't he? Isn't that right? Hebrews is written to the church, right? And he says, take heed, brethren. Brethren refers to born again people, right? Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you a what? Evil heart of a... Can brethren, can saved people have an evil heart of unbelief? Yes. I'm answering the question, can Christians have heart problems? Yes. One of the biggest of which is unbelief. Unbelief. You know, I, I, uh, I hadn't seen the, some things now, you know, in, in the past concerning these things. But more and more that I understand it, I, I see what, how the Lord feels about some of these things and I, I feel the same way. Even without thinking about it or trying to. If I see unbelief in me, or I see unbelief in you, it irritates me. Now on the other hand, you should, you, 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 you can understand people and where they're coming from. But unbelief is not an okay thing. It is not something to say, well okay, we understand you're full of unbelief. That's alright, you'll get over it, you'll work out of it. It's not okay. And that's something that we've had real trouble with. Let me share, I was thinking some of these things earlier, and I was reminded of this experience that Brother Hagin had that, that stuck with me. I forget exactly when it was, but the Lord appeared to him in a vision, and among other things, gave him a, a ministry enablement 
to help him minister to people. Uh, and what happened is, he said the, the Lord told him, and uh, I, I guess maybe this was in, well, I'm not going to say, I, I'm not sure. But, but the Lord told him that when he laid hands on people, he'd put a hand on each side of their body. And he said that if there was an evil spirit that needed to be dealt with, he said he would sense the fire of God go back and forth between his hands uh, through that person's body. Now, this is a special ministry, okay? Not everybody's going to have this. It doesn't mean you're supposed to go out and claim it and try to believe that you can have it. Uh, just special ministry. He doesn't minister that way anymore. And the reason being is that the Lord uh, has added to his ministry the discerning of spirits. And the discerning of spirits is a higher manifestation which makes the other unnecessary. But at that point in his life, that uh, he would sense that. Now, let me bring up something right here. Why would you need something to let you know that there was, a, there was a spirit in the body if all problems are just spirits? You know, see, the way some people deal with things, if it's a sickness of any kind, if it's a problem of any kind, they just start rebuking and binding devils. You understand? Well, if everything's a devil, why would you need a gift to enable you to identify that problem. You wouldn't. All of it's the same. But see, that's not the case. The thing is, sometimes you can have two, let's say two cases of physical problems. They're identical on the outside. One of them a spirit needs to be dealt with. The other one, it does not. Just an organic situation. How can you tell? <laughs> you have to depend on the Lord. He can either let you know through a word of knowledge. He could let you know through discerning of spirits. Or he could let you know through some special means like this. For, for those that are ministers and, and think about these things, this is the way I, I was taught and understood from Brother Hagin. And this is the way I've operated. You're just simple. You minister to people. And unless the Lord deals with you that there's something to deal with, you just minister to people just in faith. Amen. Let's just say healing. You just minister to people and just believe that the healing power of God goes into them and believe that it begins to work in them and you don't try to deal with spirits or what have you unless the Lord lets you know through some way that there is a spirit to be dealt with. Unless he deals with you about it, don't try to do it. But anyway, he said that the Lord ministered that to him and that he'd operate that way and he did operate that way and had success. But not long after that, not long after that, he was in a certain place having a meeting, and a man came up that had tuberculosis of the spine, and he was stiff and rigid and couldn't bend over. And uh, he, he called the man up, and he's, he's up on the platform, and, and the, they're, they're bringing the people by him, and he laid his hands on him. And when he laid his hands on him, he said that fire went back and forth, you see, between his hands. Well, see, he knows there's a spirit to be dealt with. And so he commanded the spirit to leave him. Now, that didn't mean that the man was demon-possessed. It meant that there was a spirit oppressing the man's body. And he commanded that spirit to go. And then he told the man, he said, see if you can bend over and touch your toes. And he tried and couldn't. So he laid hands on him again. That fire went back and forth between, between his hands. And he said, uh, he, and then he told the spirit to leave. And he said, bend over and see if, if. 
if you can touch your toes. See, if's the badge of doubt. Unbelief. Amen. I know Brother Hagin didn't always know what he knows now. He, <laughs> he learned some things by making mistakes, like all, all people do. But, you know, finally he just, finally he just gave up and said, well, you know, what can you do? Send him on back to his chair, call the next person up. And he said he was, he was beginning to pray, uh, you know, beginning to get ready to minister to this individual and just happened to look over for some unknown reason and he said he saw Jesus standing there. A vision. And he said the Lord Jesus told him. He said he pointed his finger at him and he told him, he said, uh, I told you that in my name all evil spirit or spirits would come out. And he said, Lord, I, I know you told me that. It's, it's, it's real to me. It just only happened just not, not too many months back. You see, it's, it's real to me. I know you told me that. And I commanded him to come out. But he didn't come. And he said, the Lord, just, just like he didn't hear him almost, said, you know, I told you that when you command the evil spirit or spirits to come out in my name, they will come out. Command them to come out in my name and they will come out. He said, Lord, I know you told me that. <laughs> Put yourself in his shoes for just a minute. <laughs> Think about this, you know. He said, Lord, I, I know you told me that. He said, he said, it's just as real to me. And he shortened the time this time. You know, it's just as real as just a few weeks ago. As if it had happened just a few weeks ago. I know. I know you did. You appeared to me. You told me that. And I, ta- I commanded him to come out. But he, he would come. He said, the Lord told him again. He said, I said, if you command the evil spirit or spirits to come out in my name, they will obey you. They will come out. He said, Lord, (laughs) I know you told me that. I know you said, it's just as real to me right now as if it had happened last night. I know you told me that. But I told him to come out and he wouldn't come. And he said, when he said that, the Lord Jesus pointed his finger out. And he said, when he looked at him, it looked like fire was shooting out of his eyes. He said he thought he knew what he looked like when he drove those money changers out of the temple. How <laughs> many of the Lord can get angry? He said, the Lord just lifted his finger up like that. He said, yes, but I said he would. And disappeared. and he said Brother Hankin said well he had been a little slow but he got it he got it he realized see that he'd been doubting what he told him see he's walking beside he's walking beside how many know it's easy to slip into walking beside I don't care who you are I don't care what you know I don't care how long you've walked with God if you're not careful, you can slip over into walking by sight. Well, yeah, but I did it and it didn't work. And so you're going by what you see. You believe what you see and what didn't happen more than believe what the Lord said. Now, let me know that's not a little small thing. To doubt what the Lord said. He's never lied to you. He's faithful. He's omnipotent. He's always backed up His Word. And to look at Him and say, yeah, but I don't, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. 
is not a small thing. And I know people don't realize what they're doing, but people do it just the same. You've done it, I've done it. In different degrees. But friend, it's no small thing. Not something to just quibble about and say, well, yeah, I guess all of us got a lot of unbelief. And that's, that is not funny and it's not something that's just a light, small thing. The Bible calls it an evil heart of unbelief. It's not something to just quibble about. If we got unbelief in us, get it out now. Deal with it. Find out what it is. What's causing you to doubt? What, what lies are you believing? Why? Look at it. Analyze the situation. Is God true? What did he say? Will he do it? Is he faithful? Is he able? He said he realized what had happened. And he said he stopped me. Call the man back up. He said, you. And the fellow said, me? He said, yeah, come back up here. Come back up here. And he said, by the time the got, man got back up, he didn't even wait to see if there was any fire or anything. He just pounced off the platform on him like a, like a cat on a mouse and laid a hand on each side. He said, I said, come out and out you go. And he said, bend over and touch your toes. And so the man went, went over, touched his toes. You know what holds us out of things? Keeps things from working in our lives? Not that we're waiting on God. Waiting on God's will. Unbelief. Unbelief. Many, many, so many are robbed by the thief of unbelief. You know, the disciples, Jesus empowered them. Gave them authority and power to cast out all unclean spirits and to heal every man of sickness and every man of disease. Matthew 10, Mark 9. And they were doing it. Man, they were going about setting people free, getting people healed. And, and the 70 as well. So much so that they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through your name. And I mean, they, they were ecstatic and they were excited and they were having tremendous things happen. But you know, in Mark 9, a man brought his lunatic son to the disciples. And apparently they tried and tried and couldn't get him, couldn't get him delivered. If you look at the whole context, it's very obvious. They had, he had brought his, his child to them. And they had, they had obviously gone through certain things trying to get him free and, and failed. And Jesus, of course, you remember, was up on the mount. Peter, James, and John, where he was transfigured. And he came down with them after that glorious manifestation. And uh, the, the Pharisees and scribes and different individuals were arguing and, and mocking, I would imagine, the, the disciples that were there because they couldn't get the boy set free. They were having a big time. How many religious people sometimes, they have a big time over uh, people's ministers' failings and mistakes? Never mind, they've never done anything. But they like to laugh and point when somebody else falls or, or is not able to, to, to get the results, you know. But the Bible said the people were glad when they saw Jesus. Because they thought, oh, praise God, here's Jesus, he'll straighten this out. Amen. And when he got there, the man that had the lunatic son, he came to Jesus and he fell down and he said, uh, he said, I brought my son to your disciples to deliver my boy. Uh, but, but they couldn't. Why couldn't he? They've been setting other people free. 
But they couldn't, he said. And he went on to say, But Lord, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything. I guess, you know, seeing Jesus' disciples fail, he wondered if Jesus could do anything about it, you know. He thought, well, you know, they're supposed to be able to help, you know. But if you can, you got something they don't have or whatever. If you, if you can do it, please have compassion on us and help us. And kind of just threw the whole responsibility of the thing over on Jesus, didn't he? Well, you know, if, if you can do anything, please do it. Jesus turned right around, put the responsibility back in his lap and said, if you can believe. All things are possible to him that believes. What's the key to getting results? Faith. Believing. What do you believe God with? Your heart. Your heart. And so the man began to cry. And with tears he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. There is a struggle, isn't there? Bible says, fight the good fight of what? Faith. Faith. Well, there's temptation constantly, isn't it? From what you see, from what you feel, from what you hear, to pull you back in over to doubt. Depression, despondency, wanderings, waverings. That's why you've got to keep your mind focused and stayed on what God said. Amen. Because if you let yourself look at the way things are, the way they feel, the way they look, it'll pull you back over into unbelief. He said, I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. And they brought the boy to Jesus. Jesus said, bring him to me. As he was coming, an evil spirit manifested himself. He fell on the ground, began to wallow and foam. Now, this is interesting here. You can go back and read it sometime if you want to there in Mark 9, but. He's, he's there having, in, a, in a spasm, fit, whatever. And uh, Jesus looks at his dad and says, how long has he been like this? You know, oh, that's interesting. Isn't it? I mean, he's asking him questions. And this is, he said, how long has he been like that? And he says, well, since a, since a child. I'm sure he was distracted. You know, he's thinking, well, well, since a child, is this the time to fill out a form? I mean, yeah. <laughs> 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 but to make a long story short, Jesus set him free. Amen. Amen. Cast the spirit out of him, commanded that spirit to leave him, and never come back to him again. That's one of the few times I remember him saying that. Never come back to him again. How many of you need to say what the Spirit of God prompts you to say? Not just what comes out of your head. You need to say what the Spirit of God prompts you to say in these areas. But anyway, I'm sure the man was elated. His boy is free. After years and years and years of this terrible ordeal, his boy is free. And Jesus and Peter, James, and John, I'm sure the scribes and Pharisees, they shut up and left real quick. And now all the disciples are going back to where they stay. And when they got back to the house, Jesus' disciples got around him and they said, uh, <laughs> they said, Master, uh, boy, we sh- that was sure great, you know, when you set that boy free. That was wonderful. We, we're so glad he got set free. But Lord, why couldn't we cast him out? See, they've been casting spirits out. Why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we cast them out? Now, if that had been some theologians writing this, and I thank God it wouldn't. It would have begun to read like this. 
Well, fellas, mere earthlings that you are, you must understand that I am the Son of God. And as the Son of God, I can do these things. And you needn't feel bad that you couldn't do it. There are many things that remain a mystery. <laughs> and it would have went on and on. And the fellows could have left, patting themselves on the back, said, well, it wasn't our fault. I mean, you know, we're not God. We're not Jesus. But you know what? He looked at them straight in the eye and said, because of your unbelief, Matthew's account says this, because of your unbelief. That's why you couldn't get, get the deliverance. And of course it also brings up the aspect of prayer and fasting. And how many know that prayer and fasting apart from faith is just works? How many know that the prayer and fasting are keys to getting your heart in good faith condition? See, sometimes people have missed, missed it entirely. We're going to fast this spirit out. We're going to pray this spirit out. And, and uh-uh. Mm-mm. No. These are keys to you getting your heart in condition to exercise the authority you already have. To exercise the faith that you need to, to receive. You mustn't misunderstand and think that it's the works of the prayer or the works of the fasting that gets the job done. That's salvation by works. If we'll fast long enough, if we'll pray long enough, it'll happen. Uh Uh-uh. No works. But thank God these are important tools that you can use to help get your heart in condition. Can you say amen? One final example, and then we'll close in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We asked the question today, and I trust that we, we've settled it to some degree. There's much more could be said about it. But, but can a Christian have heart problems? Certainly. Let's look at one other example here in Acts 8 in closing. You remember the story here in Acts 8. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. He preached Christ to them. They had miracles. They had deliverances. People heard the gospel. They believed. They were baptized. They got saved. And among them was a man by the name of Simon. The Bible says down in verse 9, there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. You know, that's a, that's a, a, a great key to discerning what spirit somebody is of. If somebody is operating in the Holy Spirit, they will not draw attention to their self. They will not glorify their self. People that are glorifying their self and drawing attention to their self, mark it down, it's wrong. Because I know that, that the devil can do spiritual things. You see? The Bible even talks about false signs, false wonders, you see. But again and again, I've seen some of these things myself just in the few years that I've been in the ministry. I've seen things that people got into and did that they tried to pass off as the Holy Ghost. But I tell you, again and again, those people exalted themselves. They talked talked as much about themselves as they did anything. And And they glorified what they had done and what they had said and how they had operated. And that's that's a sure indicator of, of, of false 
spirits. Because the Holy Ghost magnifies Jesus, doesn't he? Always exalts and lifts up Jesus. But Simon's a sorcerer. And I mean, he's got the whole city convinced that he's some great individual. This man, verse 10, they all gave heed to him from the least to the greatest. And they said, this man's the great power of God. So they even thought it was God. And it's sorcery. Verse 11, and to him they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Can sorcerers get saved? This one did. Sure. Sin is sin. Is Simon saved at this point? Yes, he's saved. He believed and is baptized. Mark 16 said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. According to the Lord Jesus, this man saved. And the Bible says in verse 14, When the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. He came down, prayed for them. They received the Holy Ghost. And uh, verse 18 it says, when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Now, how many know that just because you get born again, your head wasn't recreated? You can still have your old thinking and old reasoning and old ways. Just like before you got saved. You found that out, didn't you? Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. He offered him money, and he said, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Now, let's just stop right there. I've heard several people preach this and say that Simon is trying to buy the Holy Ghost. And he's not. All indications are that Simon has received the Holy Ghost. He's born again. And, and the apostles laid hands on them. And it didn't say he wanted to buy the Holy Ghost. What does he want to buy? So that on whomever I lay hands, they may receive the Holy Ghost. He wants to buy a ministry of laying on of hands. Well, you'd see this would certainly appeal to a former sorcerer. That you got power in your hands. There's a ministry of laying on of hands today. Any believer can lay hands on people in faith. But then there's something beyond that. There's a ministry of laying on of hands where one handles the tangible power of God in varying degrees as he wills. Not something that people play with. Amen. Not something everybody has. Special ministries. Not something you're supposed to try to claim and believe for. But Simon saw this and he thought, that is so neat. Look at that. They'd lay hands on people and the power of God had come on them and they'd start speaking in tongues and he thought, oh man. <laughs> that, that is so neat. And, and he thought, I'll buy it from them. Now boy, is that unrenewed thinking or what? <laughs> And so he offered him money. 
Now, I don't know how he did it, but the Bible said he offered him money. I don't know whether he brought some bags of silver and gold. And he thought and said, uh, fellas, if you'd give me that gift, I'd be glad to let you have this money right here. I don't know what he said, but he tried to buy it. And the Bible said, Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you have thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Tradition tells us that Peter was a, a big, gruff guy kind of anyway. I don't mean depressed or mean, just, just a big, kind of a burly guy, fisherman, work with his hands, you see. And I imagine he came on pretty strong with this because the anointing's on him anyway. He said, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Here's a man we know he's born again. The Bible says he is. But his heart's not right. Can you be born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, tongue talker, and your heart not be right? Yes, you can. But he said, repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I perceive that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, I'm trying to close. (laughs) But there's so many things here. See, see, Peter perceived by the Spirit of God what his heart problem was. Bitterness. Why? He's not the head man anymore. You see that? He, he was the head man. Everybody says, ooh, ah, Simon, he's the great power of God. Now Simon's just a, a nobody, just a brother in the church. And that's why he wanted this gift so bad. So he can be somebody special again. And he's bitter because of it. He got, he's got bitterness in his heart. Can Christians have bitterness in their heart? Envy in their heart. Jealousy in their heart. Heart problems we're talking about today. Would that hinder the life of God from flowing in you and through you to others? Absolutely, absolutely. But Simon answered and said, Pray you to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. So, I mean, he, he shows promise at least, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> doesn't he? Yeah. At least he didn't bristle, you see, on him. He just he said, he said, oh, please pray for me that these things you're talking about don't happen to me. And so, I'd like to believe that Simon was all right. Maybe became a good deacon in the church or something. I don't know. We're not told. But Christians can have, and many do have, heart problems. But aren't you glad we know a great physician that can not only help bodies, he can help us with our heart. If we will will to do what we need to do, make the changes that we need to make, he can help us to have what we talked about yesterday, a perfect heart. Every one of us can have a perfect heart. Every one of us. Perfect means complete, wholehearted towards God. Every one of us can and should have a perfect heart. It doesn't take you months or years to develop in it. You can change. You can make heart changes quickly. Amen. And God, God's helping us even in this week. Amen.
This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.